In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have an exciting episode. We're going to be talking about some of the fake scandals that the right-wing media has been trying to uh, allege against Joe Biden, and also kind of compare and contrast that to some of the real scandals that they completely <laughs> ignored under <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, then we're going to talk about this interesting new report from an international group of lawyers uh, regarding police violence in the United States of America. So that we're going to try to get into the weeds and discuss some of the implications of that study slash report slash um, recommendation. Charging document. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we're going to end by talking about the census, which yeah. is... I, I, I'm I'm sure that you're as excited about that as we are. <laughs> it it may not be the sexiest topic, but it is. But it's super. It is super so interesting, important. and it is super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and it already happened, so it's not like we're trying to like tell you to like you know go fill out the census or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, like exactly. And as always, if you like the show and it gives you value, uh, head on over to our Patreon page at uh, patreon.com slash theperspectrum and throw us a couple bucks to help support the show. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, what are the COVID numbers? How are we doing? You know, the thing about COVID numbers is that it's so hard not to be anchored by how bad things were a few months ago <laughs> and realize that like things are getting better. Like the, the trend is good, but things are yeah. really bad still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's still really bad. So in the, in the world, in the world, 150 million people have gotten COVID so far, which is up from 145 million last week. So that's nearly a 3.4% increase in total cases again in one week like it's been we've been doing this for like 70 weeks at this point you know yeah. and one of the main drivers of that is record-setting new daily cases coming out of india which is basically leading their health care system to collapse so like where where we're thinking about you know oh we're like past the second wave or whatever like we're on the downhill side of this they're literally hitting a new wave of cases uh. So far, 3.16 million people have died from COVID, which is up from 3.08 million last week, which is about a 2.6% increase uh, in total deaths. And so far, 14 doses have been administered for every 100 people in the world, which is up from 12 doses per 100 people last week. In the U.S., things are, like, trending much better, but are still bad. So, like, you know... At this point, we've had 32.9 million people who've gotten COVID, which is up from 32.6 million last week. That's only a 0.9% increase, like a week with less than 1% increase in total cases, which is awesome, except the problem is the base of that is 32.6 million cases. So that's still 300,000 new cases in one week in the U.S., where we're you know doing a great job. <laughs> um, 
And we've reached 588,000 deaths at this point, which is up from 584,000 last week, which is only a 0.7% increase. And so like, that's really small. And that's about 570 deaths per day, which is, you know, relatively low compared to what we've seen for a lot of the pandemic. Still 570 dead people, though. Exactly. And that's still, if you annualize that, that's still 200,000 deaths per year, which is still the third leading cause of death in the United States behind cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, things really are getting better. You know, we've got 43% of the population that has at least one shot, which is up from 41% last week. We've got 28% that's fully vaccinated, which is up from 26% last week, which, you know, the week-over-week growth is not that much. And the fact that <clears throat> we're actually seeing some excess capacity um, and people skipping their second doses, which is, like, really worrying, considering that those vaccination numbers are not nearly where we, where we need them to be. But, like, you know, that's all great news, but still... 570 new dead people, 300,000 new cases. Yeah. Yeah. Like and if the this way... if this was this time last year, we our faces would be melting, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the way that we fight against this, as we keep saying, get vaccinated. Yeah. All right? Get vaccinated. Yeah. At this point, everybody is eligible. You can go on, you can sign up for an appointment, and you can get vaccinated. Do it. In the wise words of Alexander Hamilton, and I I do paraphrase a little bit here, don't throw away your shot. (laughs) That was for you, Jess. Wow, that's a great reference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally true. And the thing is, like, if you want things to get back to normal, don't just act like normal. Get vaccinated, be safe, and then things can actually be normal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Fortunately, one thing that has very much gone back to normal in terms of uh, the new administration is that right wing media has been coming up with every tiny little thing to criticize him about. Mm. Um, Even things that aren't even that are just fabricated, that just just plucked out of thin air. It (laughs) it feels like we're back in the Obama administration almost. Hmm. Weird. Isn't that I wonder what that could possibly have in common with our current administration. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> Remember that time that they threw a that, that Fox News threw a firestorm when Obama dared to um, salute a troop with coffee in his hand. <laughs> like he was he was holding a cup of coffee and he saluted a troop. Yeah. And like. Sean Hannity was on there like, wow, there's the president of the United States showing a lot of disrespect for our military. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, there was, then there was the tan suit that they freaked out about. Oh my God. Because the president (laughs) looking fly is un-American. Hey, I thought he looked good in the (laughs) tan suit. He looks great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not that I give a shit how he looks. I care what he does, but you know, still like, why is that a scandal? Yeah. So, What's funny is I remember all of those fake scandals that they brought up when there were legitimate scandals mm-hmm. that they could have brought up during the Obama administration. You know, drone striking children comes to mind. Yeah. Um, but the problem but no, is they're pro they... drone striking children. Like, like <laughs> yeah. they're like, it's, it's like against their platform to, to yeah. rag on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're war hawks. Yeah. Um, so anyway, 
Then came Trump. And the things that would normally set them off, Mm -hmm. you know, like the time that he um, said, oh, John McCain isn't a war hero. You only think he is because he got captured. I like people that don't get captured, which Mm -hmm. is like, I mean, again, it is rhetorical, but it is super like it it is super um, demeaning. And rhetoric is way more concrete than like, like, he happened to be clothes, doing something yeah. else or like, yeah, wearing yeah. certain clothes or like holding something in your hand. Like it's yeah. just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, you know, if Obama had time... said, I'm holding this coffee cup out of disrespect for the troops, that might be something similar. <laughs> yeah. Or the time that he accidentally said that the trajectory for a hurricane might hit Alabama and it turned out he was wrong. And instead of just being like, oh, sorry, I misspoke. Or, oh, sorry, I, I looked at a different pro- uh, projection. He altered a projection map with a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. Who does so, that? So Who that, does yeah. that? <laughs> so that's that's a fun, that touches on a funny thing. Like, So, so there was this scandal. Um, so a while ago, they, Fox News, there was this whole big uproar about the fact that Biden had, like, hadn't done a press conference yet. So it had been 49 days until his first press conference. Like, okay, yeah. well, he's trying to roll out the solution to a pandemic. Calm the fuck down. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and secondly, and so after that, there was this whole big thing about the fact that he used notes during his press conference. So the New York yeah. Post had a headline, new photos show cheat sheets used by Biden during his first press conference. And a contributor to Fox News was talking about how it was like um, uh, ragging on him, saying that notes throughout the news conference, often referencing them at times, appearing to read directly from them. And it's like, guys, we like they're <laughs> operating in a Trump adjusted world. Exactly. Where being prepared, caring about what's true and making sure that what you say is true is a sign of weakness. Yeah. It's like, why can't you show true strength? Just say random shit off the top of your head. That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, no, that is, that is completely like, I mean, it's anti-intellectual to begin with. It's well, but intellectual is elite. That's like the thing they're trying to like connect is like, it's, it's not about what's true. It's about what's, you know, what you can, what it looks like. Yeah. How you seem exactly what you look like. It's all posturing. He seems prepared to me. All right. Donald Trump would just say random shit off the top of his head. He would make bold. You would make blatantly false statements. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that about him. And the fact that you did like that about him that's why nobody trusts you. Yeah. That's why no reasonable person trusts you. So yeah, there's that there was that fake scandal. There was also the fake scandal in which he was uh, he was walking up to uh, to his airplane uh, to to Air Force 1 and he tripped a little. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. They're trying to push this real like they're really trying to double down on the president is old shtick. Yeah. Which yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So was Trump. Yeah. I mean, they were both, you know, in some ways, like they both demonstrated signs of potential dementia. I mean, we've talked about that on the show before. Um, Now, Biden has actually seemed a little bit more sharp uh, of late. 
maybe that's because they changed his medication or maybe maybe we were just over speculating about the dementia i don't know you know um but as it stands he does seem to actually know what he's talking about he does seem to actually care about what he's saying and if he trips like once or twice while walking up an airplane i mean look i trip walking downstairs all the time i'm clumsy as shit yeah like i'm 25 <laughs> years old and i trip all the time like i you know when i um when i was in graduate school the school that i went to it was the university of northern iowa it had stairs that were like really small um because it used to be a, an all an all girls school mm-hmm. and i have huge feet and almost every single day when I would walk down them, I would just dramatically trip and just stumble down the stairs. And you're bitching at this guy because he like stumbled a tiny bit while walking up a yeah. steep set of stairs towards an airplane. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And let's be clear. Sure. Joe Biden is our oldest president. Yeah. He but is. so was Donald Trump at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also remember that time that Donald Trump when went walking up, uh, the steps to Air Force One with a piece of toilet paper stuck to his foot. <laughs> I mean, it's not a legitimate criticism it's of not, him, yeah. but it was funny. But it's similarly not a legitimate criticism of Biden. Yeah, exactly. Also, like, you if can he falls, at- we've got the 25th Amendment. Kamala can step in. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you can laugh at the fact that he fell, you know? It's I not mean, People cool. did that with Gerald Ford all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was a huge, uh, a huge thing on SNL. But like... Come on, don't don't make a scandal out yeah, of it. That's, you're just you're embarrassing yourself. That's the right venue. It's on fucking SNL. Yeah. It's not on Fox News. <laughs> you exactly. know. That's not where it belongs. Exactly. Exactly. Um another huge scandal. Huge scandal. So um Abe Lincoln. Anthony Blinken. Mm-hmm. I'm calling him Abe Lincoln, the Secretary yeah. of State. Uh he made it so that embassies around the world, U.S. Mm. embassies around the world, were allowed to fly rainbow flags. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's... And it is very fortunate. Uh, we have brave leaders such as Newt Gingrich, you know, who is the absolute embodiment of family values. You know, a guy who uh, uh, cheated on his wife who was was on her deathbed while he was simultaneously trying to impeach uh, Bill Clinton for cheating on his wife and then had to ultimately resign from his speakership because of it. Uh, so embodiment. God of, damn, of that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. Newt Gingrich, not a good guy. Uh, yeah, he basically said that this was, um, quote, uh, attacking people of traditional values. He said, quote, look, I think the left has decided they're going to try to push all the regular Americans into a corner where they either have to fight, in which case they'll be attacked by the news media, or they just have to cave and hide. Most people support gay marriage. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> also, Newt, I don't know if you know this, but gay rights, you know, LGBTQ rights, it doesn't mean you have to be gay. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. not, you don't have to, it's not a forcing thing. <laughs> you know what's, you know what's kind of funny about this? Uh, I actually have met his half sister. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, while I was, while I was interning for the human rights campaign, mm-hmm. um, she actually, uh, she actually worked there. She's actually one of the, oh, she was actually one of the bigger um, members there. I actually, I don't remember, I don't know if she still works there, hmm. but uh, I met her on the first day. She was like, yeah, um, 
you know, I, we heard her last name and I was like, and, and everybody's thinking, huh, Gingrich. And she's like, yep, that, that Gingrich. Thanksgiving is fun. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Just a yeah. side note, not super relevant, but super funny. Yeah. But like, but again, like just so not important to yeah. the like function of those embassies, but potentially really important for sending a message to our, uh, not only our um, allies abroad in which we have embassies, but also our internationally stationed like service members and diplomats and, and things like that. Like it, it is, it's one of those things where the Republicans are making a fake big deal out of it when it can be a really positive thing for, you know, the groups to whom it's meant to send a message. Yeah. And to be a bastion of LGBTQ Q rights around the world. Yeah. Where, you know, they're like LGBTQ people are disproportionately targeted. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like you're making the Biden administration sound cooler than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, by by criticizing them for stupid things like this, you're making them sound cooler. So the cherry on top was this new scandal that apparently uh, Joe Biden wants to make it so that uh, Americans can only eat three pounds of meat per year Wow! Uh, as part of his, his uh, um, policy on climate. Wow. Don't, yeah. Doesn't he know that there's a, a constitutional amendment protecting meat consumption? <laughs> it's in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, this anyway, this was a huge scandal that um, broke out on right wing media, and you know it's. I mean, it's definitely it's frustrating. It's an example of massive government overreach. I mean, I I eat meat all the time. Mm -hmm. I I definitely consume three, probably more than three pounds of meat per week. Um, so this is a devastating scandal for the Biden administration. Uh, there's only one problem though. It is complete and utter horseshit. <laughs> um, duh. <laughs> yeah, fucking. It doesn't. Duh. Even, it takes no thought to to know that that is absolutely fake. Yeah. So this this originated by some remarks that Joe Biden gave um, for uh, a bunch of that there was this um, there was this climate summit. It was called the the Virtual Leaders Summit on Climate that he had with multiple different world leaders. Which, by the way, uh, he also got criticized on Fox News for not having an American flag in the background. So, you know, another side scandal. So now he's um, responsible to, for decor, too? What does Kamala even do? Good Lord. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's just a two-person show up there, and he's pulling all the weight. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyways, uh, so... In it, he said that he had a goal for uh, cutting carbon emissions in half by 2030. Now, there was a study that was released in 2020 by the University of Michigan that suggested a possible avenue for uh, cutting emissions in half would be to reduce dietary meat consumption by 90% among all Americans, which mm -hmm. would be approximately the equivalent of basically every American eating like 
uh, three pounds of meat per year. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, because meat and meat production and animals and like animal products are a huge source of yeah. greenhouse gas emissions. Like yeah. just flat out, it is a choice that every person has to make. So no, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel like that's a can of worms we shouldn't open. Right now. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, anyways, the important point is this was a study that just suggested that as a potential avenue. All right. And this was completely independent of what Joe Biden had said, because this study came out months before Joe Biden even suggested this. Um, so anyways, the Daily Mail decided to pick up this and connect it to Biden's policy and basically say, oh, well, the only, you know, one of the one of the ways that the Biden administration could potentially cut things in half would be by forcing Americans to only eat three pounds of meat per year. And right wing media took that and just exploded with it. So some people some people were being a little bit more intellectually honest where they're sa- they were saying, um, basically, the only way that uh, we can achieve this goal is by implementing this, and that's what Joe Biden wants to do. Um, some people were just flat out saying, oh, I've read the proposal, and here's what it, like, here's what it involves, even though the proposal hasn't even pre- been presented yet. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, he didn't suggest that. Yeah. And he couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. Yeah. Like... And not even not even if Democrats were in full control of both houses of Congress, could he do that? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, most Democrats wouldn't want him to do that. I wouldn't want him to do that. Also, like, there's no avenue to do that. Yeah. There's no <laughs> like, way to Unless do you that. How- have the FDA find that meat is like somehow like killing everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, this didn't stop this from blowing up. Uh, Don Jr. tweeted about it. Uh, Laura Boebert tweeted about it. Yeah. Fucking Larry Kudlow. Okay, I gotta, I gotta tell you all about something that Larry Kudlow said. So he was talking about this on his Fox Business show. You might recognize Larry Kudlow's name from being the former uh, economic advisor to Donald Trump. So this guy was in Trump's ear. You might, if you, if you're a little bit older, you might also recognize him as being an economist who is famously wrong about every single fucking prediction he's ever made. <laughs> um, so, anyways, on his show, he was he was addressing this idea that the Biden administration would uh, slash emissions by forcing Americans to quote stop eating meat, stop eating poultry, fish, seafood, eggs, dairy, and animal-based fats. Okay, got that? No burgers on the 4th of July. No steaks on the barbecue. So get ready. You can throw back plant-based beer with your grilled Brussels sprouts and wave your American flag. (laughs) Plant-based beer. I don't know about you, Michael. Yeah. But every time I'm about to sit back and drink a cold one, I got to make sure I have at least three cups of pig's blood in there. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a pescatarian, so I don't do the pig's blood. I just drink the normal plant-based beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, so yeah. If in case you don't know in case you don't know anything about beer, um 
It's made from plants. It's made from plants. <laughs> it's, it's made all from plant barley. based. It's like, vegan. Yeah, it is vegan. Yeah. Like <laughs> And yeah. And this so, guy yeah. was the fucking was a fucking economic advisor to the president. Yeah. I'm not okay, I'm I, I I to be clear, I guess you don't need to know basic information about beer in order to do your job as an economic advisor, but come on, you're in your you're like in your seventies, man. Yeah. Like he how thought could you be that getting, stupid? He thought beer was like a protein shake this whole time. I guess so. <laughs> God, he yeah. you know he was he was probably counting that in his caloric intake. <laughs> um, he's like, oh well, got my protein for the day. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, that's the thing. Like they took these random disparate things as as conspiracy theorists are often doing and is now making its way more and more into the conservative right-wing media mainstream. They're taking these random things, calling them a liberal conspiracy or like a liberal scandal, bundling them together and then trying to convince people that they are connected. And it's like they're doing it again and again and again. And it's all because the only thing that they have to offer, as we've reiterated so many times on this show, is fear of the libs weakness yeah. of the libs the libs yeah. being the party of that you don't want to be associated with that are ruining everything because they yeah. because there are legitimate problems with the biden administration there were legitimate problems with the obama administration there were a hell of a lot of problems with the trump administration and yeah but the thing but they're not here on a good face basis to to like make the country better. There's no moral equivalency in the way that they report news versus other outlets. They're literally just grasping at straws to try to blow things out of proportion to literally make up fake information in order to try to sell this liberals are ruining America narrative. Yeah. And it works on like 30% of the country. Yeah. I love how uh, liberals were, 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 were simultaneously um sc- a scary terrifying force that is coming to destroy your way of life mm-hmm. and at the same time we're also snowflakes well but like... that's that's the thing like <laughs> it is not the, the what they're contending is that it's not only it it is our snowflakeness that is ruining everything they're trying to make the argument that like it's our weakness that's making the country weak which is make, yeah. which is taking the backbone out of our out of our economy it's take it's all of these like strength based metaphors that they use to try to say that liberals and tr- literally it means that they can say that when liberals try to save people's lives when we try to get people to wear masks so that people live we are being a bunch of weak weak like weak people yeah. that want to yeah. like keep people alive and the thing is, I think there are some people that genuinely like this stuff because because they think that it makes liberals mad. Mm-hmm. And okay, I would say that you could say that liberals are mad when they see this, but for me, it's more like I just cringe in embarrassment for how stupid you're being. Yeah, like I feel <laughs> I feel like empathetic cringe for you because these arguments, these fake scandals, are so stupid that it just it just makes me feel for you. It makes me feel bad for you. And here's the other thing. We're not going to pretend that Joe Biden has been this 
bastion of truth and, you know, savior of the people. There are plenty of legitimate scandals that you can bring up, legitimate issues mm -hmm. with him that you can bring up. I mean, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that he, he ran on getting back into the Iran nuclear deal. Mm -hmm. And then he backtracked on it saying, oh, well, I'm just going to wait until uh, Iran agrees to get back into it. And then I'm willing to negotiate. Dude, the United States is the one that violated the deal in the first place. Yeah. Why would they, why would they get back into the deal without any assurances from yeah. us? Like, also, that like, makes you don't no sense. From Iran's perspective, you don't start a negotiation by having already given away everything that you're negotiating. Like, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. You, you did a, um, offensive attack on Syria. Like that should have been a, that should have been a major scandal. Mm -hmm. The fact that, um, there is effectively child separation happening at the border right now. That should be, that should be a major scandal. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it on the show. Um, the fact that he backtracked, uh, on his fight for a $15 an hour minimum wage, um, and just kind of abandoned it. Mm -hmm. Like that should be a major criticism. Um, the fact that he went from like, first off, he went from, uh, dissing Medicare for all, because all we need is a public option. A public option is great. And then as soon as he got in the office, uh, got in office, he completely abandoned that. Now it's, Oh, well let's just expand Obamacare a little bit. Yeah. That should be considered a big scandal. Yeah. Oh, but you don't want to talk about that because you agree with that stuff. You like that stuff. And that right there is why you have to grasp at straws. Because the actual problems with the Biden administration, the ways in which he's actually hurting the United States, or at least not taking important steps needed in order to make, to improve the country, those are things that you're with him on. And now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So Nathan... Why do we do tips for good every week? Well, Michael, we do tips for good every week because don't go breaking my heart. Hmm. I, I, I couldn't if I tried. Wow. That's a really good reason to do tips for good every week. It is a very good reason. Yeah. I think it's very compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost as good as like, you know, the idea of making the world a better place. Yeah. You know? It's like just right up there, one, two. Just right up there. You know? Yeah, one, two. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it could go either way. Sure. You know? Sure. The like fact that you couldn't even break my heart if you tried. That's yeah, really yeah. nice. I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. I just, That's I just, nice. I love you so much, bro. I love you, bro. Love you, bro. Love you. <laughs> so, Nathan, what is our tip for good this week? Well, Michael, our tip for good this week is, hey, liberals. Hey, you know? We got we got to talk. We got to talk about something. So you know that uh, the last Republican president, like not not the not the one that just got out, but the one before that, you know George W. Bush, that mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, stop trying to rehabilitate his fucking reputation. All right. So, uh, Nathan, mind you, what do you is... mean he's just a nice old man who shows up in <laughs> vaccine commercials now? Yeah. <laughs> So according to a CNN poll, and albeit this came out in 2018, um, but I, you know, I, I've seen no indication that this is uh, that anything has happened that 
uh, in which this would be exponentially different at this point, uh, it found that uh, the favorability rating of George W. Bush among the entire country was 61%. And among Democrats, 54%. So a majority of Democrats have a favorable view of George W. Bush. A majority, more, a large percentage of Democrats like George W. Bush than of all the people in the United States that like Trump. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So this is a problem. We got to talk about it. I mean, first off, uh, I do partially blame um, several people in the mainstream media for this. Uh, for example, uh, Nora O'Donnell on uh, on CBS News sat down with this really softball interview with George W. Bush regarding immigration, in which she was basically like, oh, well, you were a compassionate conservative. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I really believe in that <laughs> passionate conservatism stuff. So let's talk a little bit about George W. Bush's pa- compassionate conservatism. Let's not forget about the fact that this asshole lied us into the Iraq War, which killed um, approximately 4,600 U.S. troops and minimum, minimum 184,000 civilians. A hundred minimum, one hundred and eighty-four thousand civilians. All right. On top of that, his administration passed the Patriot Act, which basically made it so that they could lock up suspected terrorists without any trial in Guantanamo Bay and just torture the shit out of them without any form of due process. In fact, the former chief of staff to the Secretary of State Colin Powell, uh, Lawrence um, Wilkerson actually directly said in 2000 uh, in 2009 that there are still innocent that there were still innocent people there that many of the people that were there ended up being innocent and some had been there for like six or seven years and he said that basically um there was there was a there was standard policy for them to just uh quote we need to lock these people up in high security prison like the one in Colorado, forget them and throw away the key. We can't try them because we tortured them and didn't keep an evidence trail. Oh my God. They tortured innocent people, didn't even leave an evidence trail, and just kept them locked up. That was the Bush administration. All right? He was a terrible president a terrible human being. You could argue that he was a puck puppet, but I don't. I don't accept that as an excuse. What he what he did with his in his administration was a crime against humanity. He is a war criminal. He deserves to be in prison for what he did, and the left wing party should not rehabilitate his reputation. All right, he does not deserve to be re- rehabilitated. He deserves to be scorned at every single opportunity. And the honestly, the only reason why people are trying to rehabilitate his reputation is because he he was critical of Trump a few times. Mm-hmm. Look, the only time, the only time that I had warm feelings towards Trump was when he was criticizing George Bush. Like the few times that he criticized George Bush for the Iraq war. The only the only times that I actually appreciated him talking like do not rehabilitate this asshole's reputation. Yeah. Uh, 
be more like Trump and criticize George Bush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's tips you- for good. <laughs> <laughs> So for our next segment, we are talking about um, police killings in the United States of black Americans, um, as well as, uh, I guess, police assaults of black Americans in the United States, and just overall um, the level of violence that black Americans face. Specifically, talking about um, an independent international commission of human rights lawyers that was formed to investigate um, potential violations of international law in the pattern of um, violence perpetrated against black Americans. Um, so we wanted to talk about this for a few reasons. One, because it's news that they came out with a number of these findings that we'll discuss, but it's also not news. Yeah. It's, it is an international body of experts recognizing that the United States is like guilty of cri- or is potentially guilty of crimes against humanity. Yeah. Which is something that like, like no nation should be guilty of, obviously certainly yeah. no advanced Western nation and absolutely not a nation that holds itself up as a bastion of human rights internationally. Yeah. yeah. And, and secondly, the fact that while they found this, and it's and it's 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 a step forward that an international commission found this. Hopefully, that will help gain attention and traction in the United States. It's also not surprising because what they found is something that we've all seen again and again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like it, it's almost validating. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where if you've been paying attention. If you've been spending time researching this, spending time understanding the extent to which uh, police violence happens, um, again, and the way in which it is disproportionately targeted towards minority groups, it's one of those things where when you hear it, when you hear it, your first thought is, "Huh, that's interesting," and then the, your second thought is, "Duh." Yeah. Yeah. So. So this kind of came out of activists calling on the UN to investigate the assault and killing of of black people in the United States at the hands of police. The UN um, received a ton of pressure from the Trump administration not to get involved. And so um, a commission was formed by uh, three groups of international lawyers so the international association of democratic lawyers the national conference of black lawyers and the national lawyers guild and they formed a commission of uh 12 commissioners to investigate in an impartial um evidentiary evidence-based way um this this potential problem in the united states and and these people were judges lawyers professionals professors and experts from all over the world, from Pakistan, South Africa, Japan, India, Nigeria, France, Costa Rica, Barbados, Antigua, and Barbuda, uh, and the United Kingdom and Jamaica. And so we're talking about, like, not only people that that are human rights experts and legal experts, but also from all over the world. And the commission was designed to investigate 
anti-black violence perpetrated by police, both historically and and with a specific emphasis on recent cases. They were tasked with making recommendations, in particular about accountability measures, um, and specifically on um, making sure that police and the United States was would be accountable for these actions. And then there, and then this report is going to be presented to the UN High Commissioner on um, on human rights. And so, the hope there is for several international bodies to then um, take the recommendations from this report, which we'll walk through, and then enact them. And, and in, in a very rare attempt to hold the United States accountable domestically for um, the inequalities and, and uh, international crimes that it perpetrates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to, once again, lay out some of the important evidence regarding disproportionate targeting of black people at the hands of police. Yeah. Um, so I know that I've given statistics like this in the past, um, but we do actually have a nice update. There's an end of year report from uh, mappingpoliceviolence.org, which is a very comprehensive database that uh, based, tries to collect information on every single instance of uh, police killing an individual. Um, so last year, 1,100 people were killed by police. Of those, uh, 80 of them were unarmed, hmm. which, I mean, that's 80 too many. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you know, they're, they're, wait, how many was the, the original number? 1100. Yeah. I mean, it's 1100 too many. <laughs> um, oh, no, 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 no. I was, I was specifically referring to the people that had been like, they were unarmed. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm saying yeah. police shouldn't kill people. <laughs> well, like, I mean, if the person is legitimately threatening another person and it's the only avenue. Yeah. Then yeah. But it is, it's very, it's very loosely. Yeah. And uh, it's an obvious case when they're unarmed. Yeah. 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 It's a very obvious case when they're unarmed. And also like even even when they have like a knife in most countries, they're still taught to do de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Like even when they're armed with a knife, um they're taught to try to de-escalate it and to do everything you can in order to prevent the situation from ending in death. Mm-hmm. So I in that regard, I would say that that is a problem with the way we train police mm-hmm. um, ne- not necessarily with individual police um, but it's definitely very easy to look at 80 cases of unarmed people being killed by police and just say that is that is not okay mm-hmm. um, by the way also let's not forget that uh, of the people that were armed um, several of them uh, many of them were actually in a vehicle so uh uh Philando 85 Castillo. people oh. who were killed um, by police uh, had a vehicle and that that counted as a weapon. So this could also hmm. potentially mean if they're just like driving away. Yeah. Like that still considered them having a vehicle. So um, or having having a weapon. So that's that's counted in there as well. But anyways, let's look specifically at the 80 cases in which people were um, killed by police. So of those 80 cases. Um, 36% of them were black. 
versus 38% of them that were white. Now let's remember, black people make up 13% of the entire population of the United States. And among unarmed people that were not alleged to be threatening, 36% were black. Hmm. And if we're just talking about unarmed, that's 35%. Again, versus 13% of the entire population. You are significantly more likely to be killed by police op- by a police officer, if, even if you're unarmed. And unthreatening. If you are black. And unthreatening if you are black. Yeah. That is an absolutely insane statistic. And also, let's look at the difference between all killings by police. So among all killings by police, black people make up 27% and white people make up 48%. Now remember... If we're talking about unarmed, it's 35%. That's a significant difference. So even if you are potentially armed, you are more likely to be killed by the police if you're black. But even if you're not armed, that number shoots up like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're so much less likely to kill other people who are unarmed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yes, this is a problem. Yeah. Yes, this is like you might you might think like, oh, well, you know, 80 people out of, you know, the entire country. I mean, that's that's not that much. But we are talking about extrajudicial killings. Yeah, we are talking about murder. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, of all of the cases that we talked about, only 16 of them resulted in the officer being charged with a crime. 16 of them. That's like 1%. Mm-hmm. That is insane. And again, and that's an improvement. you're talking... Yeah, that's a, that's a fucking improvement. The fact that anybody's being charged is an improvement. This is why last week we talked about how the charging of Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case was, you know, it was good. Mm-hmm. It's what needed to happen. But it is not the reform that we need. Yeah. Because you still have, again, if we're talking about unarmed cases or if we're talking about um, instances in which a police officer shot somebody in a car, of all of the cases of a police officer shooting somebody, only 16 of them resulted in them actually being charged with the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is that is completely insane. Furthermore... Let's not just focus on the ones that result in someone dying. All right? I mean, that is, obviously, that's very important, but let's not just focus on that. Let's also focus on the ways in which um, there are practices in which police officers are able to harass people of color. Yeah. So one of the things that's mentioned in this report is the stop and frisk policy. So in 2011, when uh, the stop and frisk policy in New York was at its height... 88% of the people that were stopped were innocent. 53% were black and 34% were Latinx. Only 9% were white. Hmm. And in the most recent, uh, in the most recent statistics, so it's been, it's the the practice uh, is no longer acceptable. Um, But in the last year that it was, um, that it was recorded, in 2019, um, 66% of the people that were stopped were innocent. 59% were black 
and uh, 29% were Latinx. And again, only 9% were white. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2019. Now, it was significantly less stops, but still, it is a clear, like, it's a clear instance of abuse of power targeted towards minorities. Mm. It's not just about the ones that result in death. It's about the ones that result in people being harassed, having their civil, their, their, their human rights violated by those that they are supposed to look up to and rely on for protection. Yeah. And that is why this study, why this, uh, this report could not come soon enough. Yeah. I think, and I think all of those points are a huge reason why this report is so valuable because it's not just about, you know, it, it, it is about killings, but it's also about the overall pattern of um, violent victimization of black people at the hands of police and the disproportionate uh, and unequal application of laws that we have in this country. It specifically emphasizes that we essentially have two systems of justice, one for white people and one for black people. So it calls out specifically that under the color of law, so remember, when a police officer takes an action, they are taking action, they are representing the laws of their state and their nation and our society. Like, they are enacting... They are representing, they're acting under the color of law, which means that those people should have a redress not only with the police officer, but also their government. So under the color of law, black people are targeted, surveilled, brutalized, maimed, and killed by law enforcement. And there's almost no accountability. Specifically, like 16 out of 1,100, you know, 16 officers out of 1,100 cases of killings were charged. And that's killings. Like disproportionate stops by police should be similarly examined you know yeah. similarly tracked because the problem is structural racism within our legal system and policing systems um and so after this commission heard from testimony from family members attorneys activists and experts they found that the laws and police practices in the u.s don't comply with international with the uh, human rights obligations of the united states so things like like violation, violating their human rights, like life security, freedom from torture, freedom from discrimination, access to remedies for violations of their rights, fair trials, presumption of innocence, um, treatment treated uh, treatment with like humanity and respect, all are human rights. And the state has a duty, which is also violated, to you know provide care to detained persons, to ensure investigations of extrajudicial killings by independent and competent and thorough, you know, investigations. So that because because when we don't hold these officers accountable, it is a a a, a dysfunction of our system. It's a dysfunction of our of our justice system. And t- let's step back from the United States here. If we were looking at extrajudicial killings by police in like a third world nation, we would immediately yeah. call it corrupt. We'd immediately yeah. call it evil. But because it's the United States, we think that those things can't happen here. Yeah. So ultimately, they found, uh, the commission found that they have a prima facie case um, against the United States for crimes against humanity, um, which warrants an investigation by the International Criminal Court for 
the crimes of murder, severe deprivation of physical liberty, torture, persecution of people of African descent, um, and other inhumane acts. Like, this is, and ultimately these recommendations will also go to the UN High Commissioner of Human Rights. Um, like, this is the kind of finding that you would expect to be levied against, you know, a nation with a dictator or something like that. But the fact yeah. is that because our system is so inherently structurally corrupt, it's not, it's not just corrupt because like there's money in politics or some definition like that. It's corrupt because it has been corrupted um, by like structural racism. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the commissioners, Hina Jelani, um, told the Guardian that uh, as a native of Pakistan, she participated in, and as a member of, of as an expert on hu uh, international human rights, she's investigated um, a number of human rights abuses for the UN. And she said um, that, uh, quote, even I found the testimonies we heard in the U.S. extremely distressing. I was taken aback that this country, which claims to be a global champion of human rights, itself fails to comply with international law. Yeah. And if you're still not convinced that the United States has institutional and structural racism, I'll point out one statistic and ask a question. One more statistic and ask a question. According to uh, census.gov, 18.8% of black people are below the poverty line versus 7.3% of white people. So my question to you is, why is that? Yeah. Because there's only two potential explanations for that. Number one, because there's something genetically, culturally, or inherently inferior about black people. And if you believe that, congratulations, you're a racist. Or number two, it's because there is structural and institutional racism against black people. Now, a lot of it, you might argue, is uh, uh, a continuation of a cycle of poverty that started out with slavery and then with Jim Crow. But that doesn't change the fact that black people are disproportionately economically disadvantaged in this country. And again, the only explanation for that if you are not a white supremacist is that there are structural there is structural and institutional racism yeah that is holding them back and the thing is when those when though when that structural inequality that holds them back and keeps black people in poverty is then imprisoned because people who are are impoverished uh turn to lives outside the law at a higher rate. Like we like crime is most highly correlated with poverty. So yeah. when we then start to criminalize poverty, imprison people like at a, a much higher rate be, when they are poor, then we are then criminalizing blackness as well. Like the yeah. fact is that it's not a complicated argument. And unless you, unless you're willing to say, black people are just different, which in which case you're both wrong and evil, <laughs> then 
we have to do something about this. And yeah. there's just no counter argument that has any ground to stand on. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Asshat of the Week. So Nathan, who is our asshat this week? I could not be more excited to congratulate our ass that keeps on hatting for this week, Tucker Carlson. Jesus, this this is getting to be too much. Yeah, <laughs> he's like I'm a, wondering. He's like I'm a wondering superhero. if we're gonna have to. Yeah, I'm wondering if we're gonna have to do like the the Trump rule with with Carlson. We might have to. It's like it's crazy. He just yeah. He's just going more and more off the rails. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of you have probably already heard this rant, but in case you haven't, so on Tucker Carlson's show, he went off on. I mean, unhinged is not even does not even quite say it. So I'm just gonna read a, a chunk of this rant. And then we're going to just discuss how fucking insane it is. So he said, quote, um, We give in to the demands of people like Eric Garcetti. And because we did give in, this grotesque version of Halloween went on for more than a year. And it's still going on. Not even Tony Fauci still pretends that masks are medically necessary. Instead, masks are purely a sign of political obedience, like Kim Il-sun's pins in Pyongyang. We wear them because we have to. The only people who wear masks voluntarily outside are zealots and neurotics. How neurotic are they? Well, we know a Pew survey from last March found that 64% of white Americans who classify themselves as liberal or very liberal have been diagnosed with an actual mental health condition, and you see them everywhere when you walk on the street in any major city. If you dare go on foot from Union Station to the Capitol, for example, in Washington without wearing a mask, angry Biden voters will snort at you in judgment. How could you, they're saying from behind the gaze. How could you? That's the question we should be asking of them in return. The rest of us should be snorting at them first. They're the aggressors. It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in. So the next time you see someone in a mask on the sidewalk or on, a, on the bike path, do not hesitate. Ask politely but firmly, will you please take off the mask? Science shows there's no reason for you to be wearing it. Your mask is making me uncomfortable. We should do that. And we should keep doing it until wearing a mask outside is roughly as socially acceptable as lighting a Marlboro in an elevator. It's repulsive. Don't do it around other people. That's the message we should send because it's true. As for forcing children to wear a mask outside, <laughs> that should be illegal. Your response when you see children wearing masks as they play should be no different from your response to seeing someone beat a kid in Walmart. Oh Call the God. police immediately. Contact Child Protective Services. Keep calling until someone arrives. What you're looking at is child is abuse. It's child abuse, and you are morally obligated to attempt to prevent it. Wait, you can't stop there. You have to read the next part. The next part's the best part. Okay, okay. <laughs> if it's your child being abused, then act accordingly. Let's say your kid's school emailed you to announce that every day after lunch, your sixth grader was going to get punched in the face by the teacher. 
How would you respond to that? That's precisely how you should respond when they tell when they tell you that your kids have to wear a mask on the soccer field. That is unacceptable. It is dangerous, and we should act like it is because it is. Oh my god, it's awesome. That's my where to fucking start. That's my favorite part. And he's like, imagine. The teacher's going to punch your kid in the face. <laughs> I do apologize for reading that entire spiel to you, but I mean, oh, man. I just had to. It's There's so much going on there. Okay, Who first on off, earth takes, could take that seriously? Like, it's a yeah. fucking piece. It's like basically a bandana, dude. It's a you fucking piece of clothing. This. Yeah. You can't parody this shit. Like, if, if, if SNL were to try to parody this they would just have to do this like they would just have to read the actual <laughs> script they would just like there's no parodying this he's a parody of himself yeah i mean okay one thing to point out the grain of truth in this is the fact that there is a lot of science to back up that wearing a mask outside is probably not necessary like if you're not if you're not in a huge crowd yeah. around a bunch of people if you're just like walking down a bike path or whatever uh, you probably don't need to wear a mask. That's true. But shaming other people for doing it? Yeah. Calling the police if you see kids doing it? Like comparing it to smoking a cigarette in an elevator? Or beating children? Or beating... What like, the... F- what? That's ridiculous. And I would just like... Uh, how have masks just, become this? This, this tinderbox issue? Like what yeah. on earth? Yeah. It's the, Why is this? This should not be political. It's the Why same liberals political? are weak and their weakness is destroying the country shtick. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, if anything, they're being like, they're being more protective than they need to be. Yeah. All right. And like, okay, great. That's fine. That's fine. Fucking do it. It's their body. You know, you know? It's, <laughs> it's not like they're driving 25 and a 60. You know, like they're not doing yeah. anything that disrupts you. It's fine. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Like if you're, I mean, if you're annoyed because someone like got all pissy with you when you were outside and there weren't a lot of people around and you weren't wearing a mask, then yeah, I, I could potentially understand that. But, but you're straight up, you're encouraging your audience members to call the police, to harass the police Yeah. and get them to come and like do what? I mean, arrest someone's parents because they're having their kid wear a mask? Yeah. Are you serious? Also, You're comparing that to child abuse, to being punched in the face? You know, I got to say, um, I I was not punched in the face by a teacher ever in class. Hmm. But, ever in class? You know, <laughs> Were you punched outside <laughs> ever, of class? Ever, ever. No, no, no. <laughs> I was... <laughs> the, I, I, I did not mean to leave that loophole in there. But I got to say, if you if I was a kid and you said, hey... Here's your here's here's a here's a choice. Would you rather be punched in the face by your teacher mm-hmm. or wear a mask? I'm I'm gonna have to go with the mask on this one. That's classic liberal coercion. Threatening <laughs> to punch someone in the face if they don't wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, quote quote me on that. Yeah, go ahead. Know. Nathan Nathan is now calling for people to be punched in the face if they're not wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. And can we just pause on the hypocrisy? He's literally saying, like I don't want to be shamed for not wearing a mask. So I'm going to like, so we have to shame everybody who does wear masks. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Oh God. He's the fucking worst. And I would just like to remind everybody that this is the same guy who, 
when he was in a defamation lawsuit, his defense in court was, you know, I paraphrase a little bit here, but you would have to be a complete and utter dumbass in order to believe anything that I say. Therefore, it can't possibly be defamation. <laughs> yeah. So not a reliable source, even though he is one of the highest rated cable news shows out yeah, there. I'm pretty sure he's the highest, actually. That's really sad. Yeah. So a deep and hearty congratulations to the ass that keeps on hatting Tucker Carlson for being our ass hat of, of the week. week. So for our third segment, we want to talk about the census, which we know, Yippee! yeah, gets everybody jazzed. That is, I, yeah, I, I yawn just, Got, just I gotta tell it. you, there, there, if there are three things in this world that I am super passionate about that I love, it's Skyrim, Star Wars, and counting the number of people in the country. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I want to count, I want to spend my time counting to 330 million, one at a time. <laughs> We're going to get a letter from the Muppets, like, yeah. <laughs> don't criticize the count. <laughs> that was a really good count voice. Thank you, thank you. Um, All right, so, so let's talk about why the census is so important. There's definitely a lot of very, uh, very, like easily describable ways in which the census affects your life, and yeah. a lot of easily quantifiable ways. Uh, number one, the census determines how representation is going to be proportioned. So I'm sure that you are all familiar with the number five thirty eight. Some of you might actually not know the, uh, like, the significance of the number five thirty-eight. Like, why why is there a website that's um, called five thirty-eight? So five thirty-eight is the total number of votes in the electoral college. So that is the uh, four hundred and thirty-five House members plus one hundred senators plus three electoral votes from Washington D.C. So. The proportionment of those electoral votes are heavily based on are, are based on the number of uh, of house seats that are in each state. Yeah. So the house seats in each state are based on the population of each state. So when there's a population shift, there's a shift in the representation. So how did that impact, or how, what are the results of um, this census with regard to? Uh, to house seats. Yeah. Michael. Um, yeah. So I, I, I definitely like that point is huge. Like literally the census affects our representation in our democratic Republic. It also affects $1.5 trillion in federal funding and how that's divided up. So like, mm, yeah. there are so many ways in which how many people are around affect you. Um, and, and not only not only does the accuracy of the census matter, but it's really important for us to know how our population is changing and growing. Um, so yeah. that's the other reason why we should care about this, because not only is it used for like economic forecasts and stuff, but population growth is really important and significant in a lot of ways. So so this census specifically. Um, had some pretty crazy findings about our population change, 
which we'll definitely talk about a little bit. But but to your but to your question, Nathan, about how our electoral map and representation has changed because of the census, um, the answer is not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so the thing is like the total number of house seats uh, is fixed. And so it's all about the apportionment of those seats to the states. And so when a Republican state gains a seat, another state loses a seat. And in this case, we had a, an aggregate shift of seven seats that shifted among 13 states. So, so Democrats lost a representative and, a, and an electoral vote from California and New York, which are both Democratic strongholds and consistently go for Democrats, which is bad, right? And yeah. we all uh, also like states with Democratic governors that voted for Biden, so ones that you know could potentially still be Democratic in the future, also lost seats. So Illinois, Michigan, and Pennsylvania all lost uh, seats and electoral votes. So their yeah. uh, electoral influence was all decreased. Um, yeah. Oregon and Colorado, both, you know, or at least in Oregon's case, reliably blue. Colorado has been trending blue and been pretty consistent for the past few elections. Both gained a seat each, um, which is good, but, you know, that doesn't compare to the five seats that were lost for states that went Democratic in this past election. Yeah. Then on the Republican side, Florida, North Carolina, both gained a seat. And Texas gained two seats. So all and also three, Montana gained a seat. Yeah, and Montana gained a seat. All all three of those and, and Montana are pretty reliably red. Yeah. Now, Ohio and West Virginia each lost a seat, um, which, you know, is is fine, but still we're seeing that, you know, yeah. overall Republicans gained representation um yeah. in Congress and in in uh, the electoral college. And, you know, to put that in a little bit of perspective, if, if Biden and Trump ran, reran this election, all got the same States right now, given the new representation, it would only shift three electors from Biden to Trump, um, which is, you know, not that bad, but in a close election that could make all the difference. Also, one thing that I found really interesting that emphasizes the importance of having an accurate census is the fact that if New York yeah. had had 89 more people, it would have received another seat. Yeah. Which I find that amazing. That's really, really 89 people out of 20 million people yeah. in New York City or in New York yeah. State. And 89 people made the difference between that and yeah yeah that's i blame i blame taylor (laughs) why didn't he get out there and find 89 people no it's all of us it's all the people that don't live in new york that are really the problem (laughs) um so so that's like so that's like the obvious change so so the thing is that that's not quite as bad as it could have been like the expectation was actually that florida was going to gain two seats and texas was going to gain three um which would obviously have been worse. Um, Although I would like to point out that uh, Texas has been trending more blue mm -hmm. and there has been some speculation that 2024 could be the year that it turns blue. Sure. So 
maybe it's good news. Yeah, I mean, maybe. And you can only hope for 2024. The thing, the thing that I think about is that like this census reflects the past, and our most recent past example is yeah, true. Or I should, yeah, reflects the past and affects the future. So our most recent past example is that those people yeah. that were in Texas when they were counted went for Trump. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. but uh, the, to me, the bigger deal about all this is actually some of the points around redistricting because the census year is also a redistricting year. Um, And that's a potentially a much bigger deal than just the change in the the count of people. Um, So obviously like local, uh, like state commissions uh, control redistricting. Um, So there are like some states have their state houses, have committees that do it. Others have independent commissions. Um, But right now, uh, the GOP controls way more state houses than than Democrats, and overall, um, they control more state houses in states where the state houses control the redistricting. Whereas, like in Oregon and Colorado, where we picked up seats in Colorado, it's an independent commission. In Oregon, the Democrats have said that they're going to share like committee seats equally with Republicans, so that the Republicans don't stop up the process. Um, Which, I mean, that's good because you're trying to prevent gerrymandering. Yeah, and and I will I will say that, like, gerrymandering is more a Republican issue than a Democrat issue. Sure. But it is it still happens with Democrats. I mean, look at Maryland. Like yeah. Maryland is heavily gerrymandered for Democrats, and that's wrong. I don't care that it helps Democrats. It's wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. I completely agree that gerrymandering is wrong. We should fix it. It is a problem. For both parties the thing i look at right now though is like if i i i want it to be an issue that gets fixed not an issue where we hand all the cards to republicans <laughs> you know yeah no i i get that yeah yeah so like so at this does, point so like, there should be like so it should be a federal push yeah and and they are they are pushing for that like there's a the the uh I forget what the bill's called. It's in the House though, and it's a voting reform bill. And it is and one of the things that it would do is is require independent, nonpartisan redistricting commissions, which seems like just a really great idea. Not the perfect solution, but like probably the best one. But ultimately, yeah. like right now, we're looking down the barrel of the GOP being able to really control redistricting, also gaining some House seats in um and some some electoral votes in a uh, in a situation where you know we're already too close for comfort in like power sharing in the house, too close for comfort on probably electoral votes if we like didn't have an insane person running against the Democrat, and uh, and uh, you know obviously a fifty fifty split in the Senate. So overall, to me, this does not spell a great. Um, outcome for the Democrats in 2022. Uh, the other thing I really wanted to touch on, uh, which I think I, I kind of teased just at the beginning, is how important population is to our economy. So, so this year, or this census, we actually saw the slowest population growth um, that we've ever had, with the exception of during the Great Depression, uh, which makes sense because, you know, it was the Great Depression. <laughs> so we only had 7.4% uh, growth in our population since 2010. 
Um, and that pattern is actually one that's been trending that way for a few decades. And, and most demographers forecast that the pattern will continue. And the reason this matters is on the one hand, like more people is more burden to our world. <laughs> you know, we've already got like 7 billion people. And so like, like more people is more trash is more pollution, all of these things. So there's like a definite cost on that, on that side. But population growth is a huge driver of economic growth. And countries that see population decline tend to also see economic contraction as well. So there's a definite economic risk in the slow growth of our population. The other big thing is that as birth rates go down, which is one of the main drivers of like slowed population growth, you start to have a situation where uh, you've got a, like an inverted pyramid of young people supporting older people. And the problem is that, you know, older people as they retire stop contributing significantly to the value in the economy and require more like, you know, government and state aid and things like that. And that will be on the back of a smaller population producing value in the economy. So ultimately like, like, for long-term growth and economic stability, population really, really, really matters. And so the fact that we had the slowest uh, census growth ever um, is pretty worrying. So that's why the census matters. <laughs> and now to finish up our episode, as usual, we'll end on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is the fact that I am finishing up my semester. Uh, I only have a few more classes left. Uh, one of my classes is already done. I just need to get some grading in, and then I am officially on summer. Uh, and I'm excited for that. That is yeah. awesome. Dude, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. What about you, bro? What's, what's your highlight? Uh, for me... My highlight is that I am getting my second dose on Friday. And I'm nice. super excited to be sick on Saturday. It's just going to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that shit, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> and with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.